you know, the original Greek word for uh, happiness or that happiness is a derivative of, it didn't relate to feeling pleasant. It related to the joy and satisfaction you experience as you strive towards your potential. Yeah. That's what you want to aim for in a meaningful life. Continuous improvement and progress in a way that helps you feel that you're striving towards your potential in the areas that matter, but also in a way that enables you to look back and go, I have traveled a real distance. I've done some meaningful stuff with my time. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell, and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets, and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential, and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun, and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in. Now let's get this episode underway. Radio guys, I'm super excited to introduce my guest on the show with me today. His name is Dr. Paul Wood. He's someone I've wanted to sit down and have a conversation with for some time now. I've personally followed his work for a number of years, and he's someone who's got a huge amount of passion and energy for what he does, but he's got genuine expertise in key areas um, that directly contribute to the overall quality of your life. So we're talking about mindset, uh, we're talking about how to perform under pressure, how to manage your emotions, and how to tap in and really unlock your potential so that you can get the most from life. So um, I know that there's going to be a lot of valuable insights in this episode. I'm really looking forward to connecting with Paul and having this chat. He's also got a really interesting backstory. Uh, Paul spent more than a decade in prison here in New Zealand, uh, which is where he started to study psychology and mindset, human behavior. He got a degree in psychology while he was in prison, has gone on to get a PhD. He's now a sought-after speaker, coach, facilitator. He's the author of the best-selling book, How to Escape from Prison, which I highly recommend that you have a read of if you haven't already. Uh, And he's just someone who's out there serving and doing a lot of good work in the community. He's a real expert in his field, and I'm really looking forward to diving in and having a chat. Paul, thank you so much for joining me, man. Oh, pleasure, Jamie. Absolute pleasure. My first question for you is, there's been... The last three months have probably been the most up and down. You know, we've all been in this thing collectively through coronavirus and through lockdown and all that type of stuff. A lot of people have had their worlds turned upside down. And I've personally found it really interesting to kind of self-evaluate my own response to it and try and be as self-aware as I can and see where I'm being triggered and, and like we're trying to control my mind. I'm really interested to know as someone who has a background and obviously a doctorate in psychology, what are the biggest learnings that you've taken out of like the past three or four months personally, uh, both watching what's going on out in the world there and also for yourself in your own life? Look, I think one of the biggest things which has really disturbed people is the realization that the sense of control they had over their lives previously was a bit illusory, right? It wasn't a real thing. You know, it's easy to assume that you're in control when everything's going well. But the second that the external world shifts and changes in some way, then you're confronted with the reality that, oh, actually, you know, I'm kind of just going along for the ride in in terms of some of the external circumstances that are going on. I think one of the most powerful opportunities that's provided people with is an opportunity to reflect on what's really important to me and what can I actually control? What are the steps that I can take, the things that I can do, regardless of the mayhem of the chaos of of everything else that's going on that gives me a sense of purpose and meaning and that actually contributes towards my future in some meaningful way. So as, as disruptive as it is, I think it's a positive disruption. If you can see it that way, Jamie, mm. the challenge is for those people who can't step back and get the perspective to go, this has been a bit of a wake-up call for me and what are the messages here? The challenge is more for the people who just feel that they're just trying to hold on to that log of wood that's bobbing in the waves at the moment, and that's all they're focused on. And that's really understandable, eh? Because, geez, if you've had if you had a massively stressful life with lots of struggles besides this, or you worked in tourism, and you know you just gone and got yourself your first house, awesome, you know, nice big mortgage, great responsibility, yeah, awesome stuff. Then all of a sudden, your job's gone. Right, then there's different circumstances for people like that. And you can understand this whole just, I just need to survive right now. But for a lot of us, and in fact, even for those who are on the log at the moment floating along, you know, the way to be able to manage this is to be able to go, okay, hang on. You know, 
what is within my control here? What can I do? What are the steps I can take right now, which make it more likely I will have a positive future rather than just feeling I'm a victim of the fates and it's all just happening to me. So I think in many respects, what it's done is it's shrunk our perceived circle of control, but in a way that is actually more realistic and healthy for us. Because at the end of the day, what's the only stuff that you can ultimately try and control? Jamie, what do you reckon? At the end of the day, what can you try and control? (laughs) How how you show up on it, like how you show up on a daily basis is all you can control. Nice. How you perceive and understand the world and behave that's all you can do. You can only try and control yourself. And can I get some hands up from your viewers? Who thinks it's bloody hard to control themselves? Right? <laughs> if you think about how hard it is to control you, how you respond to things, how you feel about things, how you behave, you know, and that's the only thing that you can actually hope to control. Nothing, nothing outside of that you can mm. control. You can try and influence the people who you immediately interact with, right? You can try and positively influence the world through your behavior. But you can't control any of that. You can only control you and how you show up. Mm. But then there's this whole other area of stuff which just, you know, is, is of real concern to people. Like, oh, how many cases are there at the moment? And, oh, what's going on with the borders and over here and that? You know, and, and what's going to happen in my industry? There are things there that might have a direct impact on you that might worry you or make you optimistic. But you can't influence it. You can't control it. And so, actually, it's not a good use of your energy and attention. Mm. Whereas going... What can I do right now? What are the steps I can take right now that make it more likely that I'll have a better future? That's the stuff you've got to focus on, eh? Yeah, I love it. That's really, really powerful. I mean, I think it's, for me, what I found was that it was a great, it was almost like a great, what's the word? It was like, there was an opportunity to test yourself for a start in terms of that. But when it came, when it comes to it, this just brought out how we should be responding to things in normal life anyway, right? So what we let in, for example, there's so much negativity in the news at the moment. We're getting negative stuff thrown at us left, right, and center. And I actually, you know, over the last couple of weeks, have had to check in and just be like really aware of what I'm allowing in because I noticed that it was starting to affect my mindset and my mood. Um, And so just being like really, I guess, strong on what I'm actually letting in and, and, making sort of certain rules so that I'm not allowed, not being influenced without realizing it because that happens so fast. But I've, I've oh, found gosh. that over, over the past three months or so, the biggest learning that I've taken away is that the people that have dealt with the most adversity or we're used to kind of having, I guess, the least amount of security are potentially the ones who have thrived through this time or even, you know, gone to another level and almost enjoyed it, which I found quite interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's such a good insight, that one, you know, because we inhabit this period in time where particularly the younger generations of today get super unhelpful messages like, oh, you should never feel stressed and you should always feel happy and in control. Mm. That is a complete load of rubbish that will set you up for a life of misery and disappointment. Well, stress can be a positive thing, right? Exactly. I mean, you need stress to grow and develop. And what we actually know is that the experience of stress is exactly the thing that inoculates you against future stress and challenge. Mm. You know, one of the areas that I love uh, focusing on is on mental toughness. Generally, when people focus on coping, they focus on resilience. That tends to be the focus in the workplace and more generally. And resilience really, from a psychological perspective, is only about bounce. It's about bounce back. Whereas mental toughness is about in the heat of the moment, when the pressure is on, can I remain effective? Mm. Can I cope and perform through that? And the interesting thing about mental toughness is it's tended to more being the domain of sports psychology. Mm. Because, of course, sports psychology is all about performance in the moment. I mean, think about martial arts, right? You can train fantastically. That's great. But, boy, whoo, when the competition begins, when you're in a combat situation, that is a different thing. So my background, my martial arts background is really in judo. And I have beaten so many people at competition who are technically better than me, but who aren't good at coping with the stress of actually it being a real combat situation and in that real combat situation. Whereas because I've been involved in so much violence in my life in terms of just growing up thinking that's how you measured yourself, but also just the, the nature of the lifestyle I led, that I'm like super calm in those situations. I just have what you consider actually be to be um, the peak level of performance. So what we know is to, have, to reach peak performance, 
you actually need stress. Mm. There's something called the pressure performance curve, otherwise known as the Yerkes-Dodson curve. And this relates to the idea that you don't bring your A game unless you have appropriate stress and pressure. You know, it activates you. It switches you on, right, Jamie? I mean, I, I can think about this, for example. I can think about going and having a fight with someone. Well, this is when I was in prison. You know, I said, not interested to talk about it, but let me give you an example. I went in there and I was overconfident and I wasn't sufficiently switched on emotionally. I was too confident. And as a result of that, I found myself getting punched in the face repeatedly. And I remember, I literally remember thinking to myself, this isn't supposed to be happening as my head was getting rocked backwards because I later found out the guy was a really good boxer. But I had just naturally assumed that I was better. Whereas we had a second round where I was like, switched on now. And it's a game changer. You need stress and pressure to bring your A game. Hmm. But also, when it comes to mental toughness, when it comes to that coping in the heat of the moment, one of the most important factors there is, what is your previous baseline for misery, Jamie? Because think about this. When you're busy doing something hard, to what extent are you able to go, well, this isn't as bad as that other time? That is such a game changer. Hmm. And I'll tell you this right now, I actually think, this lockdown period will be super valuable for a lot of people in terms of them being able to go, okay, well, look, you know, maybe we can't go on holiday this year, but hey, at least we're not in lockdown. Yeah, yeah. You know, it creates a bit of gratitude for you. It's like, I am so grateful for my day-to-day realities because I've experienced confinement, because I've been in prison. Mm -hmm. So everything is just like, oh, just super grateful for all of the little liberties I have. And I actually think there's an opportunity for a lot of us to really feel a significantly greater sense of gratitude as a result of that. But also, again, you know, that comparing down piece. And if you know that, Jamie, right, if you know that your future ability to cope effectively under stress and pressure will in part depend upon your previous experience as a stress and pressure, that means when you're going through something particularly hard, you can say to yourself, oh, well, this is going to be the new benchmark, Jamie. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is the thing I look back on, right? So it's, it's not without value. That's the message I'm saying. It's not without value. But you have to see it that way, right? Yeah, that's such a great point. Maybe we could just touch on that just a little bit more because that mm. gratitude is something that's thrown around a lot. It's, it's obviously a very popular term and everyone kind of gets it because like, it's, like they say, it's impossible to be sad when you're grateful. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to experience those two emotions in the same, at the same time. But it's like until you've been through some hard stuff and then got down the track and realized that it was actually the best thing that you could have gone through, it's kind of like gratitude. You can look back on that with a grateful lens, but in the moment, it's so bloody hard sometimes to be grateful for the struggle. Mm. But that thing about looking down and being grateful because there's all, it's, it could always be worse, and that's the reality, and I find myself saying that to myself a lot and to other people. Like, There's always someone in a worse situation no matter how bad you think it is, but I think that's a really important concept, and I've heard you speak on that before about like when you were in prison uh, in solitary confinement and stuff. Like, That was something that really helped you get through the days because you were comparing it to all sorts of other things. Can you just talk on that for a moment? Because I think right now that's like a really key thing that people can take yeah, away and nice. implement. Nice. Okay, and so there are two elements here, and, and one of them I'm going to challenge you on because I don't think people really get the gratitude piece. I think people misunderstand what that's about. So I, I will elaborate on that because I think it's really important that people have a real understanding of what they're trying to do there. Yeah, cool. So what I was talking about is that naturally we have this tendency to compare up, right? Compare up. So whatever our situation is, we go, what, what's a better situation? Let's focus on that. A lot of the work in this area comes from an area in psychology called social comparison theory. Mm-hmm. And this is where I go, oh, Jamie, look at Jamie's setup there. Look at how light his room is. Look at that fantastic mic and headphones. Oh, no, now my setup doesn't seem as good. Whereas actually all that does is it reduces our effectiveness and makes us less able to cope with whatever our reality is. Mm-hmm. Because what is, is, and what isn't, isn't. So there's no point immediately going, well, if only this and this was the case, it would be so much better. What you're way better off doing is going, hang on, okay, there might be some challenges in my situation, but how much worse could things be? Because that shifts your perspective and it means you stop hemorrhaging your precious psychological and emotional energy on wishing things were better. It actually cultivates a bit of gratitude there and gives you perspective And because things can always be worse, right? Mm. They really can. Whatever you think your situation is, you've just got a diagnosis of cancer, you've got three months to live, it would be worse if you had never found out and you'd never had an opportunity to say goodbye to the ones you love. 
I literally had someone tell me that about their own experience in a workshop not that long ago. Right. I'm telling about stuff like prison. It's nothing compared to getting told you've got a few months to live, right? Yeah, totally. You know, at least prison, there's the opportunity to come out the other end of it. In New Zealand, there is for most people. But again, that's that comparing down, going how much worse could things be? But here's a, a caveat around that one, Jamie. And it was really good, actually. This was something which was prompt. I was prompted to think about this by a psychologist who, who spoke to me after one of my talks and said, oh, you know, do, you know, do you think that that's appropriate for everyone? Because there is some research to suggest it has sort of mixed results for different people. And what I think is I think if you're someone who's naturally more prone to worry and dwelling on the negatives, the comparing down option may not be for you because it may actually end up focusing on your in a way that doesn't give you a greater sense of gratitude for you, but actually gets you spiraling on, oh no, but what if that happens? Mm, right. And if you have that natural tendency, you're way better off just trying to cultivate gratitude for what your situation is without the comparing down piece. Now, heaps of people have heard of gratitude diaries. They oh, three good things. You know, once every 24 hours, I'm going to say three good things that I'm grateful for from the last 24 hours. That stuff is gold. But you know what people misunderstand about it, Jamie? What? People think the intention of it is to feel uplifted. So let me give you an example. I'm really grateful uh, for the coffee I was able to get before this. Look at that. Caravay, free piece of advertising for you. <laughs> right, for the coffee I was able to get before we kicked off, I'm also really grateful that I had the time in my schedule to be able to catch up with you. Again, wanted to do so for ages. The more I speak to you, the more I like you, Jamie. Isn't that a great thing, eh? No, that is the thing. other way around. <laughs> so I'm also grateful for the fact that I got to drop my um, three-year-old off to uh, childcare today. So now what people think is they think, when I do these things, I'm supposed to feel uplifted. Oh, fuel in the tank, Jamie. Look at me, I'm just floating now. That's not true. That's right. not the intention of it. What the intention of it is to exercise your mental muscles that mean in the future, you are more likely to notice the things which are good in your day. Mm. Because this is the thing. It's like going to the gym for your brain. You don't go to the gym and you go, oh, I don't feel heaps fitter and stronger after this one session, so it mustn't be working. Because this is what people do with the gratitude diaries and that. They go, well, I've been doing this a few days. I don't really feel any different, so it's not for me. But what they fail to realize is it's not about feeling uplifted in the moment. It's about exercising the part of your brain responsible for noticing the good things that happen in your day and giving you all of the mental fuel, all of the neurotransmitters, boom, oxytocin, boom, serotonin, boom, dopamine, that actually help you remain effective and cope and have a high level of well-being. Mm. But you're investing in the future. You're not getting the benefits of it today. You might feel good sometimes when you do it, but that's not the intention. And this is what we know, right? Your brain has a negative bias. It helped keep your ancestors alive to be more attuned to and focused on the things that they had to worry about and the things that caused them unpleasant emotions on that basis. So that's what your brain's calibrated towards. But what we know is if over time you regularly do the three good things each day, and here's the secret, they have to be small and different things each day. You can't go health, love, and happiness, right? It has to be small and different things. Then within 21 days, most people notice a significant increase in their general sense of well-being. But again, it's not when you're doing it. It's when you're just walking around going, oh, there's something good. Yeah, oh, right. there's something good that you would have previously missed. And I think that's so crucial, right, is understanding you're investing in your future through what you're doing today by exercising that part of your brain. Does that make sense, Jamie? Oh, 100%. I really like that definition, actually, because that's not something that I've really heard talked about. But as someone who uses the gym as a tool all the time, that makes complete sense to me. Why is it that in that situation, so, for example, we pay so much attention to our physical health and well-being and people were happy to go and spend money on a gym membership uh -huh. and get into the gym. We spend so little time developing these patterns with our brain and actually like strengthening our mindset yet it directly determines the quality of our life and our happiness if you were to sort of we've got gratitude as as one thing and understanding that that's a muscle that you need to build over time in order to bring more of that stuff in and turn those neurotransmitters on and all that what about a couple of other key points that based on your experience if people were to go out there and start working on their mindset and they listen to this and they go, right, actually, I need to start investing in my, my mental health, my mental strength, my resilience. What are another couple of things that people could do, another couple of exercises outside of gratitude? Because I just feel like 
this is just an area that is should be the number one most important thing uh-huh. that we all do, and I just feel like we neglect it massively. Well, what I what I want to do is I just want to take a step back, and before we get into the sort of like nuts and bolts of some specific things they can do, I think the way you conceptualize this is often the biggest barrier for people, mm-hmm. and I think there are two things that make it a real barrier. One is because it's less tangible than your physicality. People don't realize that it works in the same way. And a lot of people have what's called a fixed mindset about this. So you might be familiar with those terms, Jamie, but just for your listeners, just a reminder, like basically what we know is that people tend to conceptualize talent and capability in one of two ways. And there tend to be an unconscious perception you're not aware of. It's just the filter through which you understand the world, you understand success, you understand talent. And one way of conceptualizing that is is a fixed mindset. And this is where you see talent and capability is like your eye color. It's a fixed attribute. It's just something Mm -hmm. that's a certain way when you're born, that's it. There's no point putting any effort into trying to change your eye color. It just is what it is. And a lot of people see talent and capability in the same way. They go, well, you're either good or you're not, you're talented or you're not. Whereas the other way of viewing talent and capability is like your muscles. And that's called a growth mindset. And that's where you go, look, we're not all born in the same place, right? We don't all start at the same place. I've stood next to Sonny Bill Williams. We are not all created equal when it comes to physicality. <laughs> and it's the same mentally. We're not all created equal. We're not all going to reach the same level of resilience or um, competence in different areas. But all of us, through effort and work, can get closer to our potential. Mm. So a lot of people don't realize that. And, and this is the problem where they look at someone who's successful and they go, oh, well, you know, that's just because they're talented or capable. They don't see all the hard work that sits behind it. Jamie, you know this. This is your space. You look at anyone who's successful and you will see a massive amount of hard work and sacrifice that goes into that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. But if you have a fixed mindset, you don't notice all that stuff. You go, oh, well, they're just talented. They're just capable. You, know, you, you miss all that bit around the work and the effort that goes into it. So for a start, that can be a barrier for people where they don't even have the motivation because they don't have the insight that you can actually change. And by the way, the reason the three good things, the gratitude diaries work is because you can change your brain. You can exercise it like a muscle. Hmm. So what we know is that decades of research into neuroscience support the growth mindset. You know, your brain, your capability, your talents, they're like muscles. They're not like your eye color. You can change them. You can shift them. So there's one barrier for people. Another barrier is failing to understand how it is you create sustainable change. Mm. Jamie, I want you to imagine this. Oh, let's see. Here we go. Because you're a physical guy. So let's (laughs) say I'm pretty unhappy with the shape that I've got into. I haven't exercised in years. So New Year's resolution, I'm going to get back into the exercise. What do you reckon one of the most common mistakes people make is? Going 100% in the first few days and not slowly building habits over time. Boom, right? <laughs> exactly the same in this space. Mm. You go, oh, I want to work on myself. So you go out all guns blazing when you already have a busy life and your mental and emotional resources are finite. They're limited. What people fail to do is play the long game. Mm. You know, you have to be playing the long game. Um, you know, like there was a paper published a couple of years ago now, and it was a really interesting one. It was talking about how long it normally takes to build a new habit. And on average, of course, it depends on what you're working on, but on average, it takes 90 days right. to build a new habit. So I want you to think about this, right? 90 days. Now, what I tend to know from my experience of working with people and, and some of the indicators from other research around is that often you will notice the impact of something new within about 21 days. Mm-hmm but it's 90 days to actually change the neural wiring so that it takes less effort and energy from you. So what I will often say to people is, if you want to get in the habit of exercise, the first three months, it's about getting in the habit. It's not about doing anything hard. If you want to go to the gym, you can go to the gym and read a book for the first Mm. three months. It's about the habit of going to the gym. It's not about what you're lifting or what you're doing there. But people go out too fast, too hard, and they derail themselves. They forget this is about solidifying lifestyle changes. And it's the same in this space. You want to try something really small, really small. And you want to build the habit of that. And then you want to add to that over time. Mm -hmm. That's the way you do it. For example, if some of your listeners there 
um, are thinking, well, I want to get mentally fitter. I want to have a greater capacity to cope and recover, have the fuel in my tank to flourish through adversity, to be who I need to be regardless of what the world throws at me. A simple habit they can get into is over the next 90 days is every time they experience some stress and pressure to tell themselves, challenge to be embraced. Mm -hmm. Literally, that's it. Nothing more. Because what we know is that when you experience stress and pressure, if you feel like it's just happening to you, right? And I want you to think about this in terms of lockdown period. If you feel like this is something out of your control that's just happening to you, you have no voluntary choice in this, it activates a part of your brain which is more likely to result in negative health outcomes in mm -hmm. terms of the stress you experience. But the simple act of going, I volunteer to choose to see this as a challenge to be embraced, activates the approach system in your brain, which is associated with growth, learning, memory, satisfaction, positive emotional experience. The simple act of going, I choose, I choose, Jamie. Mm. Get in the habit of doing that over 90 days. Small stuff makes big differences over time, but people go out hard and fast. They try to do too much and they derail themselves. Yeah, I, I love it. I, th I think that's one of the most addictive things or the things I enjoy most about martial arts and, and the physical aspects of going to the gym and stuff like that is it's an opportunity to exercise that every single day. And it, when you do find yourself in pressure, like in situations like lockdown and stuff like that, you can draw on that bank and you've built up credit, so much credit over the years of whether it's doing the extra sets or whether it's hopping into sparring when you really didn't want to step through the ropes or whatever it is. But you do naturally draw on that and you have that self-belief in the times when it matters when you've been doing that consistently. And that's what you're saying. Yeah, um, 100%. And, and I think that's a really important point because one of the factors that's crucial in, in we talk about sports psychology and mental toughness, is confidence. Mm. But that's not confidence like, oh, yeah, I, I got this, yeah, I can defeat whatever. It's confidence like this. I've been in hard places before. Yeah. I know that it'll end. I know that if I put the effort in and I stay focused, I'll get through this okay. Mm. It's confidence in your ability to withstand a situation rather than like an inflated arrogance. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, 100%. And it's one of those things where like in those situations, obviously you're building your confidence, but the fastest way to destroy it is to pull back in those situations because then when, when it matters, you've got, you know that you've stepped away from that, that challenge and that adversity at every opportunity. And so you have no belief that you're going to step up in, in that moment, right? Mm, yeah. And it, it's, yeah, it's, God, it's so bloody interesting though. Again, you know, how performance is so impacted by that mindset and how you conceptualize that stuff too. Like there have definitely been situations where, man, I have not stepped up to the plate. I have not lived up to my potential in challenging situations. But the key thing is there is because I deliberately cultivate and adopt that growth mindset, I go, those are my opportunities to learn and grow and come back stronger. So that each time I'm just taking a little bit step, a little step further towards growing into who I want to be. Rather than thinking that a previous failure or experience is an enduring indictment against me, right? Because mm. there's been, like I said, there have been lots of situations where I haven't done what I know is the right thing to do. Sure. That's okay because those have been lessons, man. And, and I tell you what, in many respects, Jamie, exactly like sports, like martial arts, whatever, if you're not losing occasionally, if you're not getting the equivalent of a punch in the face in whatever area that you know, is relevant for you, then you're not getting far enough out of your comfort zone to really grow. Totally. You know, what we know from some of the research in terms of skill development from sports psychology is the optimal learning zone is often a place where you're failing about 50% of the time. Really? And think about that. Now, that's a tough one, right? Because that's where you're at right at the boundary of your competence in a way that you're learning heaps from the activity but it can be a hard one to maintain from a motivation perspective mm, because totally. you need to really be succeeding about 70% of the time to really be able to maintain your motivation a lot. But it's good to know that, right? That if you're not failing, yeah. you're not growing at the rate you could be because yeah. you're taking it too easy. You've been too conservative in your growth. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. One of the ones I wanted to, to talk about because we discussed we'd talk about feedback a little bit. Yeah, let, let's, let, yeah go for it. Well, the martial arts piece, I love. It's sports is the same, but of course, because our backgrounds, our sporting interests in martial arts, I'll, I'll refer to that. Sure. One of the things I love about martial arts is that there's no hiding from the feedback you're getting. No. It's very <laughs> tangible, it's very real, and it's very honest. Yeah. 
You can't kid yourself into thinking you're doing well when you're not. But also, you don't fool yourself into thinking you're doing poorly when actually you're going well. And I want you to think about that, eh? Because often we think about this when we go, oh, well, you know, you can sort of be overinflated. You can think you're doing well when you're really not. You've got a big blind spot. But actually, the more common one for people is the imposter syndrome area. Massively, Have you, yeah. you know, oh, 100%. I think everyone, I mean, I've definitely, even just launching a podcast and having conversations like this, I get that straight away. Um, but I feel like that imposter syndrome stops so many people from pursuing the things that they want to pursue. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Eh? Like we all have to be experts from the beginning and that there's no learning. <laughs> Everyone's just at the finish line as opposed to experiencing the journey. And so it's a really interesting uh, concept. Yeah, but also we just so misjudge other people's internal experience, right? Like it is so common for you to be doing something meaningful, something where you have the opportunity to show your skills and demonstrate value to others and then to go, oh, geez, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing a lot of the time. Everyone else seems to know what they're doing. Oh, my gosh. It's only a matter of time before people realize I'm not really as talented or as capable as the thing. I'm so common has its own syndrome named the imposter syndrome. But the thing there is what you're doing is you're comparing your inner world with what people show you on the outside. Yeah, totally. And that's radically different, man, radically different. Now, what we know is that actually the vast majority of people experience that imposter syndrome feeling of not really being as good or as talented as they're supposed to be in some area of their life. It's a normal thing. And, you know, I've spoken to people who are like world-class athletes, uh, you know, people who have been in uh, conflict environments where they're operating at the elite level and defense force, stuff like that. And even people at that level will still experience this. Yeah. And in fact, I would say that self-doubt can be an incredibly important driver for doing the work required to be successful. It can also be incredibly help you in, in helping you make better decisions because you're not so confident that you're definitely going to get it right. So it makes you actually, you know, be a bit more considered about important stuff. The gifts we get from people who don't have any kind of self-doubt are things like the global financial crisis. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get from people who lack any self-doubt. But also as well, check this out. One of the ways that you maintain a pathological level of self-confidence is blaming everyone else when everything goes wrong. It's mm. never your fault. Yeah. Right? So actually the irony here is, is you want that self-doubt. That self-doubt is a really useful tool for learning and performance, but you also need to be able to dial down the negative impact of it, right? Mm. And I tell you what, a big part of that, Jamie, is just accepting it. Let's go back to that physical analogy. When you go to the gym, Jamie, when you go to the gym, when you exercise, when you run, when you lift weights, anything like that, is it easy? Never. <laughs> right. And why does it never get easy? Because you're always going to the next level with it. So there's always, there's always a, an extra bit that you can push or a little bit further. So you're still under the stress that you would always be under. It's just at a different level. Right. But imagine how hard it would be to cope with that context and progress and grow effectively if you thought it was supposed to be easy. Yeah, exactly. Right? And this is the thing. People get this false idea that it's supposed to be easy, mm. that they're not supposed to feel stress and self-doubt and misery and unpleasant emotions. Well, look, reality check, team, it ain't supposed to be easy. You've got this brain in your skull which is geared towards you, focusing on stuff that you're unhappy about and feeling unpleasant emotions, regardless of whether you're driving the latest model car in the biggest house with the most attractive husband or wife and, you know, the most adoring kids, whatever it is. Your brain is wired for you to experience lots of misery and suffering. It's not supposed to be easy. And in fact, if you're not experiencing that stress and that challenge, you're not doing anything that matters. You're not trying to strive towards your potential in life. So a key thing is being able to actually accept that. In the same way as you're on the bench press or you're running and you go, I accept that there's a demand here, that mm. this is challenging, because I know this is what growth feels like. Mm. And it's the same. Those unpleasant emotions, you go, I accept them. I'm not going to fight them. I'm not going to try and say I shouldn't be having them. I'm just going to accept they're there and do what I need to do anyway, right? Mm. It's an interesting one just on the emotions there, because I feel like, particularly as men, we 
because all emotions are equal. Like it's the same thing. It's just that some have got a negative connotation and some have got a positive, right? Like yeah. happiness is good and sadness isn't, but really it's the same thing. It's just the experience of emotion. I feel like that's a really interesting topic because we don't allow ourselves to feel the full width of emotion a lot of the time. Like we, we stuff down the negative ones and, and try and avoid them and try and have, feel like we're, if we're experiencing too much of that, we're failing and if, and it should all be over here. Can you talk to that for a minute? Cause I find, I yeah, think that that's a really interesting concept. Oh, that is such an important area. This is what we do, right? Like as a society, we're socialized to judge our emotions on this basis. If it's pleasant to experience or be around good, that's a good emotion. If it's unpleasant to experience or be around bad emotion, that is a load of rubbish. It's such a false criteria. But that's how we're socialized. I do this stuff with people all the time where I'll get them to write down all the different emotions they can recollect in the last 24 hours, and then I'll get them to uh, categorize them as either good or bad. And people can do that really easily and really quickly because the societal messages we get around this stuff are really strong. Mm. But the reality is, is the only way that you can actually judge your emotions is whether they're helpful or unhelpful to you in the context you're in, in the situation you're in. Let's use a classic one, right? Because men tend to be socialized uh, to be uncomfortable with any emotion that associate with weakness or vulnerability, which by the way is why a lot of men act aggressively when they feel unpleasant emotions, because at least anger and aggression doesn't feel weak. Yeah, it doesn't right. feel disempowered. Okay, there are other reasons as well, but that's an important one. But what I, what I um, get people to do is I get people to think about context, situation. What's the situation you're in? What does the emotion prompt you to do and what do you get from that? So say, I would say fear, right? Oh, I shouldn't feel fear. I shouldn't feel fear. I feel fear every time our three-year-old runs into the kitchen being chased by his brother when I'm cooking anything. Yeah. That fear is an incredibly helpful emotion to me because it helps me keep them safe. It prompts me to either, you know, slow them down, move stuff, or if I'm being more honest, yell at them quite a bit of the time. <laughs> Get out of here. You know, you're not supposed to be in here. Look, I'm bloody work in progress myself, Jamie. Eh? No one's at the top of the mountain. But if I didn't experience that fear, my children's lives would be in significantly greater danger, right? But again, we have these false ideas around what a good or a bad emotion is. And it's the same, you know, like feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Such a crucial thing, having some insight into how you're perceived in terms mm. of your level of performance and behavior by other people. It's really, really crucial. Um, but when I receive feedback that I'm not performing at the level I would like, I don't want to feel positive emotions around that because that's not going to motivate me to do the work to get better. Mm, I want to feel disappointed by that. And I tell you this right now, if I'm giving feedback to someone about something which is crucial for their performance and how they show up in a way that impacts others, and it's something where I'm saying, hey, there's a performance gap here, I sure as hell want them to be disappointed by that. Mm. Because that disappointment, that is something which is going to motivate them to actually want to close the gap. If I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, so you say I suck at my job, Jamie. Ah, yeah, I'm all good with that. That is not a useful emotional experience for that context. Mm. So again, you know, you, you need to be able to go, was that helpful or unhelpful to me based on the situation I was in, what I did with it and what I got from it? So you yeah. another example, frustration, right? Frustration. Frustration is an emotion you experience where you encounter a barrier to a goal you have. That often prompts you to find ways to resolve the challenge there, to overcome the barrier, to achieve your goal. Helpful emotion. Make sense? Yeah, totally. So that's one of the things I'd say as well for, uh, for your team there of listeners is another potential challenge for you is just every time you find yourself experiencing an emotion, you just go helpful or unhelpful. And that'll give you some direction around where to take it. But one of the problems is, is often we get sucked into them because we're so busy trying to avoid them or deny them mm. or move away from them that we expend all of this energy on them. Whereas if we just did that, what I said before, accept. Just accept the emotional experience and then go helpful or unhelpful. That will radically change your game. It seriously does. But Do you, you feel like... This whole idea that they're good or bad because they're not. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. And there's something incredibly uplifting, even if it's accepting sadness. Like if you're having a moment of sadness and you actually do sit in it and go, it's all right to feel it. There's something you there's, there's a release that happens there when you do come to terms with it and you accept it. 
the feedback thing is really fascinating because I feel like, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like a lot of the time we're either too reactive or too emotionally triggered to actually take any of it on board. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And so talking about the concept of feedback probably makes sense to a lot of people, but in the moment, how do you, if you're not good at taking feedback currently and it's an obvious way that you're going to improve the quality of your life and, and you know, get better at everything, how do we stop ourselves being triggered? Is it just about having that perspective or is there is there ways that we can get better at taking feedback on board? Because I feel like that's a big, big problem for a lot of us. It's, it's, it's challenging, eh? It's challenging. I mean, if you want to get stronger on the bench press, how do you do that? Yeah, just repetitions. Keep doing it. Right. But, but what do you do? Do you start with 200 kgs? <laughs> no. So if you want to get better at feedback, don't go into a town hall environment, strip down naked and go, tell me my imperfections. Let's not start there. Let's start in small and manageable ways. And I'll tell you what, a really good one here. There's, there's a few things I want to talk to and unpack there, right? But a really good way to start acclimatizing to getting the feedback you need. And by the way, do not wait for people to give you feedback. No one has as much skin in the game as you do in your own development and whatever areas of life matter. Be a proactive seeker of feedback, mm. but know how to do that effectively. Yeah. And one of the best ways is to sidestep our brain's natural tendency to want to focus on what we're not good at and what we're going to get unpleasant emotions around. Instead, start asking people this. Jamie. Hey, I just want to really check in with you and get your views and opinions of my performance. Uh, they really matter to me. Can you think of anything that I'm currently doing well, which is contributing to my effectiveness that I should do even more of and look for more opportunities to do? Boom, right? I'm asked, I'm after information, which is going to really help me be able to be more informed about where I can focus, how I can progress in terms of playing to my strengths, give me a more accurate sense of how I'm perceived in that area. But also, it's a far safer space for me to start emotionally, not only for me, but for you. Totally. Right? So it's like a really good entry point. But also, because we naturally gravitate towards the negative, we miss out on really unleashing ourselves because the way you unlock your potential is to figure out what your talents are, hmm. not to figure out all the areas you're stuck at and invest in those. Figure out your talents. I was talking to someone about this last week, Jamie. Let me just give you an example. The amount of effort, let's say that this, this is a zero, okay? A zero represents just an adequate level of performance mm -hmm. in an area, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got the whole continuum here. Here's minus four, minus eight, and down. Here you've got plus four, plus eight, down to plus 40. The same amount of effort is as required to move you from a minus four to a zero on an area that's not a natural talent for you. It's not something you're naturally good at. That same amount of effort will move you from a plus four to a plus 40 mm. on an area that's a natural strength and talent for you. Stop focusing on those bloody negatives. There's heaps that you have to manage in your career in life, eh? Yeah, like sure. I'm not naturally strong at attention to detail and doing the dishes, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I have to really concentrate and go, now my wife wants me to do this. And my wife often talks to me about the extra 10% of effort when it comes to dishes. And that she's ex-army and she's, she likes stuff squared away. I have to force myself to do it. I can't get away with not doing it. I can't go to her, no, sorry, lovey, not one of my strengths. I'll just let you do all that. <laughs> but I also don't try and turn it into my primary way of contributing in life. Instead, mm. I go, what are the things that come more naturally to me, the things that I do stand out um, for in terms of the different areas I can compare myself in, and I'm going to focus on those. Think of it like this. Let's go back to those tangible examples, right? Uh, Valerie Adams, most people know Valerie Adams is pretty good at throwing stuff. But mm -hmm. imagine her PE coach said to her, Valerie, you seem really naturally talented at throwing stuff, but as an all-round athlete, I'm worried about how fast you are over 100 meters. So let's get you spending a whole heap of time on the track. The amount of effort that would take her to get a little bit faster over 100 meters, that same amount of effort devoted to a strength, boom, accelerated, mm -hmm. unleashed. And that's what I would say with the feedback. Stop focusing initially straight on the stuff that's like more likely to trigger you, more likely to actually cause you those unpleasant emotions. Build slow by getting better at asking for the stuff that's really going to help you accelerate. Now, this is a key thing too, Jamie, is often people are really bad or really ineffective when it comes 
themselves to providing useful feedback around strengths and skills because they fall into the trap of just giving you vague praise. Yeah, sure. A great job on the podcast today, Jamie. Right now, that's great. That's feel good. That feels good. That feels good for a percentage of the population. There'll be a percentage of the population who will actually roll their eyes a little bit and go like, blowing smoke, you know, there's no value. I don't need to hear that. The type of information you need, it needs to be specific enough for you to go, I know exactly what contributed to my effectiveness. Now I can go away and do more of that. Mm. It has to be that specific. So if Jamie, if you were to go to me, oh, you know, great job on the podcast today, Paul, I can go, what in particular was it that I did that contributed to my effectiveness? Because if I don't have that, I might have a little bit of a little bit of wind in my sails temporarily, but I'm deprived of the information that will really allow me actually, to play the strength. Yeah, Make sense? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, it's really, uh, really good to actually just split that up because I think a lot of the time, a you get told what you want to hear or what people think you want to hear. Um, we're not very good at giving feedback, like you said, but also seeking actual tangible feedback around the stuff that you know that you're already have a strength in is a great way to start because you've got more confidence there. So you're more likely to actually step out and do it as well. Really good. Yeah, and that's the way you start. You start. And once you've built that level of comfort, then you can start venturing into other territory. But this is another problem with the, the, uh, that triggers people in feedback is they assume that if they hear something, which causes them to feel an unpleasant emotion when they're hearing something where someone goes, I don't think you're doing as well as you could be in this area that it's an enduring indictment against them, that the mm. person's saying you're bad at this in some mm. way. Whereas, again, it's more like the emotions and how we categorize those, where what's helpful or unhelpful depends on the situation you're in. For example, I might have something that at this point in my life and in my career, I should stop doing in order to be effective. Mm. But maybe five years ago, exactly that behavior contributed to my effectiveness when I was in a different context and a different point in my life. Let me give you an example. When I was first building my business, or when I was finishing my PhD while working as well, I just had workaholic tendencies, and I would just focus a massive amount of time on this. That was really useful at that point in my life in terms of contributing to my effectiveness. Now I have young kids and a wife I love and a mature business that doesn't require that from me. If I carry on with that same behavior, I'm not going to hold on to that wife and I'm going to miss out on the lives of my young kids. So what was once really important for me being effective is no longer serving me as well as it once did. Mm. So if you ask someone for feedback and you want to get into that scarier stuff, a good way to go about it is, is there anything that I'm currently doing that may have contributed to my effectiveness or may have served me well in the past, but actually isn't serving me as well anymore? and is unlikely to do so going forward. Mm. How, how, how different does that feel? Yeah, completely. One thing that just came up for me as you were saying yeah. that then was how important is having clear purpose and vision and direction in order to get that? Because if, you, if, you, if you're not clear on what you're trying to achieve or where you're trying to go, it's very hard to get the right feedback. So yeah. does it start there with like understanding your purpose and, and actually like the direction that you're heading in and being clarity there enables you to then get clarity of feedback? Oh, this is such a good question, Jamie, because eh? we're sold this false narrative that you need to have certain, you need the five-year plan, Jamie. You need <laughs> to know exactly where you're going. That is so not true. What you need is you need to armor yourself with the attributes and the competencies that enable you to navigate effectively any terrain you find yourself in. Pandemic, boom, good to go. Some job that never existed when I was training for work five years ago, boom, good to go. You don't know what opportunities the future will have in store for you. I've done so much leadership work where you're doing leadership programs and you get a senior leader in to talk about their experience of their leadership journey. And I don't think I am, I have heard one who hasn't said, oh, I got opportunities and I pursued them mm. as opposed to going, oh, no, I had a five-year plan. This was my plan. That's, that's not how it really works in the real world. The things that you want to focus on is not so much end goal, but rather growing into who you can be. Mm. And when it comes to your purpose there, the most important stuff is what are my values and what are my strengths? Totally. And if you can get clear on those, then man, those will take you down paths you never even could have envisaged with your five-year plan 
they will take you to greater directions. You, you, hey, I see you nodding, eh, Jamie? Oh, I really get it because I actually, one of the, probably if I was to pick out some of the best advice, one of the handfuls of best bits of advice I've ever been given was when I was doing a Brendan Bouchard course a few years ago and he talked about goal setting in the sense that everyone who talks about goal setting is just setting to-do list goals and no one's focused on who they need to become. And when you focus, instead of setting goals around what you need to do and ticking things off the to-do list, when you wake up every day and you set goals around how you're going to show up, how you, like how I'm, I set a goal today is how I was going to interact with you, for example. Um, like, you know, who do I need to be in this moment to get the most out of it? And when you start thinking and setting goals around that stuff, naturally you go as far as you can possibly go because you're showing up as your best self in every situation. And that's when the opportunities come. So Nice. Because you're able to be open to them, eh? Exactly. You can see them pop up. You can walk through doors. If you have seen, if you've already, you know, done your line in the map, going from here to here, you miss all the potential exploration along the way. And, and don't get me wrong, look, it's valuable to have goals as well that are more that sort of long term. But that's not the stuff that will drive you to the greatest meaning and really unlock your potential in life. Mm. So in goals, in psychology goals, we talk about the difference between outcome and identity goals. Yeah. Outcome goals are like pay off the mortgage, get a degree, this, that, that. And those are all good. You do want that stuff. You do want to have some tangible external stuff. But the stuff that really propels you along, those are the identity goals, not the outcome goals. That's where you go, for example, as you said, you know, what's my identity going to be in this interview? Who am I going to show up as? What are the attributes I'm going to demonstrate? And I always think about this, like when I do stuff around personal development or leadership development or, or, or whatever type of development it is, I always think, actually, if you can just get in the habit of cultivating a few key attributes, oh, the places you'll go, eh? Yeah, I like that. You know, like, for example, can I get in the habit of deliberately exercising my courage muscle? Yeah. And this is where, you know, I accept and embrace vulnerability as a sign that I'm doing something that matters and I'm growing. And for for a lot of people, right, that might be going, if I don't know, I'm going to ask a question. I know I might look stupid and I'm worried about that, but actually I'm going to do that because I know that when I do that, when I do what I should be doing rather than just take the easy road, I'm on the bench press for that courage muscle and it's going to get a little bit stronger and easier to use so that I'm empowered to do what's true and what matters and what's right rather than what's emotionally convenient and easy in situations. There's courage, right? How important? Sorry. Sorry. How important is it to to create, um, I guess, triggers or something that keep that front of mind? Because like, I feel like, again, going back to the flexing of the muscle, it's the same with all that stuff. Like saying that you want to be courageous is one thing or that you want to act in a bold way. But you, you have to remind yourself of that X amount of times a day in order to start actually yeah. flexing that as well, right? Yeah, look, I think, you know, you, this is where you can't overemphasize the importance of being, um, I suppose, what you would call prepared. In fact, Jamie, look, there is a technical term for it. I was trying to find it. I couldn't bloody remember, so I just really <laughs> prepared. didn't really take me that long. Primed. Oh, my God, that's the term in psychology, to be primed. And the way you do this is you go, for example, what are the situations that occur in my day and in my week where I find myself feeling like this, where I get an opportunity to exercise this? Okay, mm. and if you can think of those in advance, then you're more than three times as likely to actually effectively implement that. Mm. Whereas if you're just wandering around with a vague notion, hoping that you'll be able to, you just won't nail it. You'll go missed opportunity after missed opportunity, right? Yep. But it's like in sports psychology, the importance of visualization. Yeah. Where you actually do the mental rehearsal, and you do the same with this. Where I go, okay, the situation will be will be my Tuesday Zoom meeting with Jamie and. Um, you know, he's going to be talking about this new direction here of his team. And I'm not really certain how that relates to my team always. So that's the opportunity right then. When that happens, I go, Jamie, what does this mean for us? Mm. What, you know? what I'm hearing, the common theme in all of this is being intentional about everything, right? Yes, yes. But the irony there is, you know, you've been intentional about you and how you show up. Not about you know, anything You're else. not trying to control that world. Again, it goes back to our original, oh, Jamie, closing the loop. Hey, <laughs> it goes back to that idea of going, what is it I control? I yep. control me. I yep. control how I show up. That influences my world and my outcomes. 
but I don't focus on that stuff. Yeah, I love it. So it's about what's my intention as I navigate space. You know, how do I do that? I love it. I think that's the key thing. I hope everyone actually sits and writes that down because I think that stuff is incredibly powerful in order to move forward. I think as it stands, when we're reactional, we spend most of our energy and time worrying about the external and very, you know, very little of our time being intentional about how we're going to show up. And another key point that I was thinking of as you were talking there is because we're talking about being courageous and being bold and that type of stuff, which is obviously an attribute that helps you. Uh, you know, say in your career and take the next level and push forward towards excellence. But the way that you show up and the way the intention that you need to show up with is different in every relationship and every circumstance. So it's not like you just say, I'm going to be courageous. It's like the way that I show up and talk to you or show up in business requires a different set of intentions than the way that I show up as a partner or, you know, as a, as a brother or something like that. Mm. And so it's quite, what, what, like, should we say it? it feels like we should be setting intentions for every sort of area and interaction so that we're, like you said, planned and ready to go for each of those situations. I, so I would just dial it back though. Dial it back, Jamie. Because that's like, that sounds so massive, right? It, well, it depends. It does. It sounds massive if you haven't got a scaffold to help you choose your intention. Right. And the scaffold you get is you go, what are my top priority values that I want to be demonstrated at this point? And in different situations, different ones will be the priority in that situation. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, when I'm dealing with my wife, my key priority value I want to demonstrate is curiosity. Mm -hmm. I want to show her that she's seen and valued by asking her questions, by trying to explore her world, see how things are going for her. Right? That's, that's the key driver there. Whereas I would say in some of the other contexts, maybe it's the courage one that's a key driver for me. If I'm speaking at a conference, for example, mm -hmm. it's still there. It's just that they shift in terms of their level of priority according to the situation I'm in. But I agree with you. If you can proactively set the intention, if you can go, I need to put on my curiosity hat here. I need to put on my courage hat here. You know, whatever it is, you'll be so much more effective than if you're just trying to figure it out in the moment. Totally. Yeah. I, I love it. It's, man, there's so much good stuff there. I just want to check in time-wise because I know that we're sort of locked in around an hour and we've Yeah, probably... I, can, I can do seven more minutes and then okay. I'm going to be running late. So okay. I'll have to get going. Fantastic, mate. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Oh, no, look, I'm loving the chat and I love what you do. Hey, I love what you do. It's so important. And, and for the people who are out there listening, you know, this is the key stuff is just a bit more self-acceptance and just, just a bit more focus on tweaks on small things. It'll mm. just take you such a long way over time. Yeah, and vulnerability is something that I've heard you speak on a little bit in the past as well, but I feel like that's something that probably isn't. It comes into this and into the feedback, and it all ties in there. But yeah. I feel like a lot of the time we're acting from a place of where we, where our ego or whatever it is tells us we should be, and therefore yeah. we're not actually getting the right feedback or taking the right steps because we're not accepting of where we're actually at. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah 100%, right? And again, like if you go back to the evolutionary origins, we evolved to be members of a tribe where it was incredibly important that our contribution was seen and valued. So we've evolved to have this tendency to, to really experience unpleasant emotions around anything that might suggest that we're not contributing in the way we desire, whatever contribution means in the context we're in, right? Mm -hmm. And some of us are more prone to that than others. I mean, mate, I'm an egomaniac, naturally. You know, I am. I just have these natural tendencies to want to be seen and valued. And on that basis, I'm exactly the type of person who responds negatively to any information which suggests to me that I'm not contributing. I'm not doing it as well as I'd like. But I'm able to reconceptualize that. And I've been able to just over the years just train myself into going, you know, this is a gift. But also as well, one of the key things I do, Jamie, is I don't respond initially to feedback. Right. If feedback's redirective, in other words, it's suggesting I could be doing something else or doing something differently, then what I do is I give it 24 hours to then go back to and see what value I could get from it. Because what I used to do when I was less self-aware and less evolved is I would just start arguing as to why it was wrong, why it didn't take into account my perception. Whereas I've gotten much better at going, I'm going to park this and I'm going to find the value in it. But also a key thing here is, making sure you only place value on the opinions that actually do matter. Yeah, that's a key point. <laughs> that's so key. And, and here's the simplest rule. Like I do heaps around this stuff. We haven't got time for it today. Maybe another time. But the simplest one is this. If I wouldn't ask you for advice, I'm not going to accept your criticism. Yeah. Okay? 
Like, why on earth would I take to heart your criticism if you're not someone I'd ask for advice? Totally. You know? If you and don't that, know that, my world, if you don't care for me. That also shapes, it shapes a lot of, I feel like, you know, that's like the old broke uncle giving advice on what you should do with your career type thing. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's all of these circumstances that we come up with, particularly in our youth and stuff like that, where we're probably not aware of who we're actually taking information from. And even, you know, things like the careers advisor who's unhappy in their own career telling you that you should do and putting limits on what you can and can't achieve yeah. and all that type of stuff. So I think that's a really key point. What, um, just because I know we're, we're sort of running yeah. pretty short on time here, what, if you're to, I know that you're doing a lot of work out there, you're in a lot of different fields as well. You do a lot of corporate stuff. You're obviously doing uh, a lot of great work in the prison system and then you're doing a lot of stuff on an individual basis. What's the impact that you're trying to have with your work and with your career? Oh, well, you know, if I think about the impact, it's just allowing people to have the insights and the tools that enable them to more effectively pursue excellence, pursue their potential, and be more self-accepting and flourish through the inevitable challenge and adversity life has in store for them. Mm -hmm. And I work in heaps of different spaces, but the key theme which makes them all the same is it's people. You know, whether you're wearing a suit or a high-vis vest, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same experience we all have. You know, the same gift, but the wrapping's different for different people. Mm. So it doesn't really matter what the context is, eh? Really, yeah, totally. for all people. Another question that I had for you prior to jumping on was: given your background and the adversities that you've faced, and that the, you know you've been through some major lows and major highs, that how has that shaped your like? What's your outlook on success? What is your definition of success for yourself? What are you striving to achieve? Because having spent ten years inside. Um, and been through that side of things and then coming out and doing all this great work and really contributing to society in such a positive way. What is it, what do you, what is it that drives you and what is your definition of success for yourself? Oh, my definition of success is continuing to get better at what's important to you. You know, the byline on my website, <coughs> poorlord.com, is better never stops. Mm. But here's the key. What it really means to be successful is to continue to progress and improve in the areas that matter, but also being able to recognize when those areas that matter shift and change because they do shift and change at different points of your life. And to recognize that if you're still pursuing the path to success that was true for you at 20, when you're 40 or when you're 60, you've failed to recognize you know, that the destination has changed. Mm -hmm. So you need to be continuously looking to grow and get better, but in the areas that most matter to you and are most relevant at whatever point of life you're in right now. Like for me, it's not career. I love my career. It's a real opportunity to positively impact. But actually right here, right now, being a parent and a husband are the most important areas for me to focus on. Mm -hmm. And they're the hardest they're the ones that are going to have the biggest value for me when I look back at the end of my life and go, how did I spend that particular period of my time? You know, hey, maybe when I've got it a bit more dialed and I'm, I'm more effective as the husband I want to be and the kids are a bit older and more independent, that'll shift again. But I'll be continuing to try and get better at what I do. You know, the original Greek word for uh, happiness or that happiness is a derivative of, it didn't relate to feeling pleasant. It related to the joy and satisfaction you experience as you strive towards your potential. Yeah. That's what you want to aim for in a meaningful life. Continuous improvement and progress in a way that helps you feel that you're striving towards your potential in the areas that matter, but also in a way that enables you to look back and go, I have traveled a real distance. I've done some meaningful stuff with my time. I absolutely love it. Hey, Paul, just want to take a minute to acknowledge you. Uh, I really, really appreciate you giving up your time um, to share your story and your insights with me and with everyone that tunes in and listens. But yeah, you know that I'm a big fan of your work. I've followed you for a number of years now. Uh, and I just really, really want to acknowledge the positive contribution that you're making out there. Uh, and, you know, it's really cool to see someone who's been through what you've been through and been to the bottom, you know, the bottom of the valley, uh, the way that you've turned it around and come out and made a positive impact. It's just incredibly inspirational. So thank you so much for your time uh, and keep doing the great work that you're doing because it's, awesome. um, it's massive. Thanks so much, Jamie. And just one thing I just want to point out because that was so gracious is that I'm making a positive contribution now. That wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. I was someone who did massive harm to other people in my youth, mm -hmm. you know? So 
wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you worry about with yourself, you can come back from that. You can turn it around. You can turn it into something positive where you feel your life is really worth living in the best way possible, whatever it is you might have done in the past. Awesome, Jamie. Hey, I'll look forward to doing it another time. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Paul. Really appreciate it. Cool. So there you have it, guys. That was the interview with Dr. Paul Wood. I hope you enjoyed that one. That was a fascinating conversation. Like I said in the intro, Paul, someone who's just got a lot of passion and energy for what he does, but you know, serious expertise around key topics such as mindset, uh, how to perform under pressure, how to unlock your potential, really get the most out of yourself. You know, key topics that do directly contribute to the quality of your life. So I hope that that added value to you. Uh, I'd be really interested to know what your key takeaways were so if you want to tag me on social media and just let me know what the key takeaways were uh, as always really appreciate it if you share this out with anyone who you think would get value from it and please tag paul in those comments as well because uh, i know that he's someone who likes to contribute and share as much of his expertise and knowledge to add value to other people so i'm sure he would really like to know what you took away from that episode um he's at dr paul wood on all social media platforms and his website is paulwood.com where you can check out more about his work as a coach and speaker and facilitator Uh, and if you haven't got a copy of his book or haven't read his book i highly recommend that you do it's a bestseller it's called how to escape from prison Uh, it's available on audible and all major platforms um, or at your local bookstore so i highly recommend that you check that one out And just one little favor from me, if you're enjoying this podcast as we really start to get some momentum now, one thing that makes a huge difference that you can do for me that just takes a couple of seconds is just to leave a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on because as we start to get some momentum, we really want to reach new ears and getting those ratings and reviews just helps us climb up the rankings and reach new people. So uh, that would be really appreciated from me. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in again. I really hope that that episode with Dr. Paul Wood added a lot of value to you. Go out there, have an awesome day and I really look forward to connecting with you in the next episode.